didn't always necessarily expect uh, what what the reality was. You know, it didn't always match up exactly. But Jesus most certainly still after the resurrection, he is still our king and his kingdom it still continues. Let's look at some passages that kind of show us these things and, and gets us to to realize uh, what Jesus is still doing in our midst today. In Hebrews chapter 1, now really this whole chapter is about Jesus Christ and how great he is and how much better he is really than, than all of the angels. But especially when we come to verse 8, this is what we read. Hebrews 1 verse 8, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You know, he's talking about this throne of God, this throne of Jesus Christ, because this is about the Son of God. So Jesus's throne, it's going to last forever and ever. This scepter, that, that is a, a sign of the king. The scepter of justice, this king of justice, that's going to be the scepter of this kingdom of God, this kingdom of the son of God. You know, all these things are so important to kind of see how they're all wrapped up together and how they're all glorifying Jesus Christ. And he is still our king. Uh, his, his throne is going to last forever. He is still alive. All of these things are still true. Even though he did die, he raised up from the dead. And whenever he raised up from the dead, he gives us even more hope. We, we see even uh, more of the realization of this power of God. And what happened in Jesus Christ by being raised from the dead will also happen to us one day through the power of God. His throne, this king that we worship, he is going to live forever and rule and reign forever. But now let's let's also take a look at this kingdom of God. Now, I want you to remember some of the things we looked at last week, but now we're going to be even looking a little bit more into uh, to some of these things that Jesus says about the kingdom and, and the nature of this kingdom. So I want to remind you of a passage from last week in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So this passage, and, and you know, we looked at it last time that this phrase about not something that can be observed. The kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. I'm still kind of amazed at how Jesus talks about that and, you know, what he says with that. But just because the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, you know, there are still things that we can know about it because that's why Jesus spent so much time in his parables talking about the kingdom of God. You know, have you ever noticed that that many times whenever he mentions a parables, he's like, you know, let me tell you this parable about the kingdom of God. Or he might just say the kingdom of God is like this. And he goes into the parable. Let's take a look at a few of those parables because we get more insight into this kingdom of God. And this king that reigns in this in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Now this, uh, before we dive into the parables actually, uh, we're going to take this one moment to notice that it's not just about the parables that tell us the kingdom is in our midst, but it's also the power. So yes, it's the parables, but it's also the power that Jesus Christ came with. In Matthew 12, 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus himself, it, it, he mentions that the fact that he can drive out demons, that says to all of those around him, at least it should say to those people around him, that the kingdom of God has come upon them. 
Now, now let's turn our attention to those parables that I was mentioning before. And let's see that these parables, they talk about the nature of this kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 13, this is Jesus and speaking about these parables, verses 31 through 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, there's some similarities between these parables, isn't there? But both of these parables go back to that phrase that Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is not something that you can really observe. It's in your midst. Right here, he kind of compares it like the kingdom of God. It's like a mustard seed. This mustard seed is so small, so tiny, but yet it can grow into something, you know, pretty large. Something so large that birds can land in it and, and remain in it for a time. But it starts off something so small. It's hard to see that growth because it kind of happens slowly. And, and some of that growth is even hidden from our eyes for various reasons. Some of that growth that happens underground whenever you plant the seed. Some of that growth, it's invisible to our eyes because it happens so slowly. But that's the same type of things that we can learn about the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes the growth that happens in the kingdom of heaven can't be seen by our eyes for whatever reason. And then that's also kind of why he mentions not just the mustard seed, but then in verse 33, he compares it, the kingdom of heaven, like yeast. Now, you know, you can see that yeast is, is like this uh, uh, kind of uh, small substance that you put within this dough. But isn't it amazing that, that you can have something so small, so tiny, but yet it can work its way throughout all of the dough and affect it entirely, like change everything about it. You know, if, if you want a uh, visual example of how important yeast can be, um, try making some bread without it sometime. You notice that there's a huge difference in bread that has yeast and bread that doesn't have yeast. In the same way, the kingdom of heaven is something in many ways that is so small that you can't really observe it very easily. But yet, it still can grow into something big or it can expand throughout all of the dough. Those are two lessons that we see that are talked about within these parables. But there's other parables as well that talk about the kingdom of God. Let's look at another one. In Matthew, still chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the way that the kingdom of heaven is talked about here, uh, I, I want us to, to look at this because it's not talking so much about kind of the, the smallness of it or the small or the, or the growth, how it grows. Uh, this is talking about kind of the, the collection of it and the, the wide reaching um, uh, aspects of it. It's compared to like this fishing net. Now, you know, maybe you've had the experience of fishing with a net. I, I actually don't think that I ever have done that. You know, I've maybe seen some some uh, fisherman nets as as kind of uh, some different decorations for like a vacation Bible school or something like that. And and uh, I guess I've also seen uh, some different movies or or, uh, you know, different films or something 
that portray big nets that catch all types of fish. Well, you know, obviously, whenever you're fishing, not everything that you catch in that net is going to be the type of fish that you're wanting. It's not always going to be what you want. And they had nets like that during the days of Jesus. And, and it was, you know, you would just bring in whatever you could and you capture it all in this net. Then you'd have to bring that net to where you could sift through it and you sifted through it. And the fish that you wanted, you kept and the fish that you didn't want, you know, you, you threw the bad away. Or you threw the ones that, that weren't going to work for you, that, that weren't uh, ready for you, perhaps. You know, they might be too small or something like that. This parable tells us something about how the kingdom of God is also and how it will be in, in the final days. Because apparently there's going to be a time whenever kind of the angels are going to go out and are going to gather kind of everybody up, so to speak. But yet there's going to be this separation between the good and the bad, the righteous and the wicked. And, and we see that, that this division takes place, just like that is with the kingdom of heaven. So about this king and about this kingdom that we, are, uh, that we can be a part of and that we are called to be a part of, we see that these parables teach us something about our king and also something about his kingdom. And Jesus spoke of so many other parables like this, too. You know, I would just kind of encourage you to uh, open up your Bible sometime and, and look at some of these parables that are found in Matthew. You can look at some of the, the chapters around uh, this here or, or uh, maybe in other Gospels as well. And you'll notice so many times when he starts talking about parables, he says something about the kingdom of heaven is like this or like that. They're all meant to tell us something about this kingdom of God. And we notice that it's... It's not just about right then and there, but it's also about right here and now, and also some things in the future. All of them are wrapped up together in this kingdom, because the king and his kingdom still continue even after the resurrection. Now, let's get there, and let's, uh, let's see some things um, in, the, in the scriptures as well. Because Jesus went around, and he was preaching constantly about the kingdom. And, you know, I mean, he, he kind of told a few people that he was the king, and a few people recognized that. Most people sadly didn't, though. But you know, even at Jesus's death, there are some people who were still expecting the king to establish his kingdom. You know, they were still waiting for that. And for example of that, let's let's take a look at a few of those. Now let's turn to Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, do you remember there was a conversation that happened? with the criminals that were there with him, the, the thieves on the cross that were there hanging with Jesus. Let's read that conversation again. Verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This passage, this thief on the cross, I love seeing his faith because he's one of just about like the only person that we see. Maybe not the only person, but he's one of a very small group of people who is still expecting, even when Jesus is on the cross, he's expecting him to come into his kingdom. Now, I don't know how he expected that to work, but he had some type of faith that that was going to work out. 
And I, I do still wish that we had more information about this thief and, and knew more about him. But sadly, we don't. We just have this request in verse of Luke 23, 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was still expecting. He was still hoping that the king that was being crucified next to him was going to still come into his kingdom. Jesus gave him the assurance, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, you know, as you look at that, of course, it, it has to do with him being a part of the kingdom. It has to do with him uh, being with God forever, being in paradise. It's a wonderful hope that this thief on the cross was given. But you know, it's also the same type of hope that we can have as well. If we expect and long for this day, whenever we can enter in and be in this paradise of God, be within the kingdom of God, both right here and right now, but also in the future, then we can, we can learn something about the king and his kingdom. They are still going on today, still alive and well. You know, there's actually another man who was expecting the kingdom of God at Jesus's death. Let's look at that one now. In Luke 23, a few verses down, in verses 50 through 53. Now, Jesus has already passed away at this time, but do you remember what happened with his body? That's what we're reading about. Luke 23, verses 50 through 53. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in the tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. You see that this man, this Joseph of Arimathea, one of the few things that we read about right here about him is that he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Might I remind you, Jesus has already died, and this Joseph uh, of Arimathea. He is in the process of burying Jesus, but he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. I think what we see within this man of, of Joseph is that he was a man of faith, and he still had faith in God that the kingdom of God was going to come somehow, and it did, and it's here in our midst, just like it was in their midst then, at least for those of us with eyes which can see it. That's why at the end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible in Revelation, we find out that the kingdom is not just something in the future, but it's something that we are already a part of because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross with his sacrifice and also because of his resurrection. Revelation now. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. This is the introduction of, of the book. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. As John is introducing his letter right here, in Revelation chapter 1, what we see here in these verses, especially in verse 6, is that he's talking to Christians. And he says that, that Christ has made us to be his kingdom, has made us to be a kingdom. We are this kingdom. We're also called to be priests. 
We're called to serve God. Now, all of these things are wrapped up in who we as Christians are. We need to make sure that we live our lives in such a way that we are always bringing uh, recognition of that glory and the power of our God forever and ever. Amen. Just like in the words of, of John right here. But do you notice he, he made us to be a kingdom and priest? This is actually similar language as what God used of the nation of Israel. That's what he wanted to do with Israel. And even if you want to back it up before that, that's what he wanted to do with Adam and Eve. He wanted them to rule and reign with him, to be with him. And right here, we see that if we are faithful followers of God, then he has made us be a king. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. And also in Revelation, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this praise of Jesus Christ and notice once again what Jesus has done for us. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom. Our king and his kingdom most certainly continued after his resurrection. They most certainly continue to this day. We can be a part of this kingdom. We can be a part of, of doing these things that God would have us to do and serving our God. He says that you know they will reign on the earth. They are this kingdom. You know, he's talking about, about Christians. He's talking about us, that we have been made into this kingdom. And we are reigning on this earth. We are reigning and ruling with God. It's what he wanted all the way back in Genesis. And he finally gets it in the book of Revelation. Now, of course, we took a winding path to get here. But here we are. And we are what we are because of this, this wonderful plan that God has given to us. Let's make sure that we serve our God. Let's make sure that, that we allow other people to know that our king and his kingdom have most certainly continued to this day and will continue to continue throughout all of eternity. Help me, dear Lord, as I journey below, more of thy wisdom and sweetness to know. Eternal salvation
Jesus will be 